In uh, 2017, there was a 14,000-pound buoy that came unhooked from its foundation off the coast of South Carolina. Now, for years, this buoy uh, aimlessly floated around the East Coast and uh, recently landed on the coast of Florida. And so that's a problem because buoys are real good for a couple of things, right? Number one, they're good for coordinates, right? They're good for geographically understanding where you are in the ocean. Uh, they're also good for making sure ships and vessels don't go where they're not supposed to. It keeps uh, people on smaller boats away from bigger boats, and it keeps swimmers away from smaller boats. And so buoys placed in the right place, held to the right foundation, serve a really, really, really good purpose. They're helpful and they're necessary. Okay? But one problem that we have is a 14,000 buoy floating around the ocean unattached from its foundation. I hope you see where I'm going here. Uh, attached to the right foundation, buoys are necessary and effective. And in the same way, Christians, we have to be attached to the right foundation if we're going to be useful. And not only if we're going to be useful, uh, if we're going to be effective for the advancement of the gospel, uh, and even from a personal level, uh, you need to be attached to the foundation, which is Christ, if you even want to be sure of your own faith. Uh, so many people question their own faith because they're not attached to the foundation of Christ, who is the head of the church, who's the head of all rule and authority, and who is the head, according to the letter of Colossians, which we'll be in today, uh, is the head of all the universe. And so you would see how it'd be very confusing and very difficult for someone to proclaim a Christian faith without being connected to Christ and His gospel. So this morning, we're going to open up to continue in our sermon series, Navigating Culture, to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. You see, just like a buoy serving its purpose, understanding where it is and where it is connected, a Christian has to hold firm to the sufficiency of Christ. That means Christ is sufficient. We talked about this last week, that Christ is all that we need. According to last week, we learned that in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. That is, in Christ, the fullness of God is there, is present. Now, because of that, we now have to understand that we have, as Christians, as Colossians says, have the fullness of Him in us. And so that means, therefore, Christians lack no good thing. Christians don't lack anything because we have the fullness of God in us, in Christ who has the fullness of God in Him. Right? So that's where we sit as Christians. But we have to hold to this fundamental truth if we're going to correctly navigate a culture that does this one thing. Right? Here's what culture does. Like the ocean, the ocean ebbs and flows. Okay, So it goes out and it comes in. And a buoy has to be on its foundation because it will move with the ocean if it's not tied down to a single spot. And as Christians, we're going to do the same thing. If our foundation isn't tied on to Christ, right, as culture ebbs and flows and it moves back and forth and it tries to get us to go here and it tries to get us to go there, if we're not attached, like this 14,000 uh, 14, pound buoy is not attached, we're going to go with wherever culture takes us. And we're going to find ourselves aimlessly wandering around society with no foundation and no purpose. And this is the big buzzword in our culture is, what's my purpose? What am I here for? What am I doing? Well, in Christ, we have our purpose, and we have the plan that He has laid before us, according to Ephesians 2.10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that He has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All the purpose of a Christian 
is found in God's Word and is in the fullness of Christ is where we find our purpose. But unattached from that, we're all going to be like this buoy that I just talked about, not able to navigate culture. And here's why. Because culture is going to, like the ebbs and flows of tide, add things to what it means to be a Christian and subtract things to what it means to be a Christian. You hear me? Our culture is going to say, well, if you're a Christian, this is what, you, this is what it takes to be a Christian, right? Uh, like Paul's going to say in a minute, you've got to add these holidays, you've got to add these festivals, you've got to add this food and add this drink. If you want to be in a right standing with God, you have to do these things before God will accept you. You understand I'm saying before, right? We call that justification. That is, before you are saved, before you are right in the sight of God, you have to do these things. And culture is going to try to add things to your life to say, hey, if you want to be, really want to be right with God, you need to jump on this bandwagon. If you really want to be right with God, you've got to go do these things or you won't be right with God. And we've got to be careful because we don't add anything to what it takes to be right with God. Right? It's hard enough sometimes to propagate what is the right way to follow God. And so we don't let anyone add anything. Now, in the same way, there are so many people, like the ebbs and flows, the ebbs and it flows, which means there are things people add to the gospel, but there's also things that people take away from the gospel. And we, as Christians, have to understand, as Paul is going to articulate to the Colossians, we can't take anything away from the gospel. We live in a culture today where people want to take away the substitutionary atoning death of Christ out of the gospel, right? And that is a a big no-no because that's how we're saved, right? That Christ came to be our substitute, that he came to uh, to, to take away our sin and impute on us his righteousness. That's what it means to be a substitute. You have a substitute teacher, and guess what happens? The teacher, uh, the teacher is not there. There has to be a substitute. There has to be something that takes the place of that person. And so who takes the place of our sin and the judgment that is poured on us is the substitutionary atonement of Christ. And so in our culture, there's people trying to take away things from the gospel. And what we have to say, there is no adding to the gospel, and there is no taking anything away from the gospel. And to just in uh, spirit of telling you, hey, when, you, when Pastor Evan read this earlier, you may have thought, I don't know how that pastor is going to make the sense of any of this, but to tell you, that's what this is talking about. Can't take anything away from the gospel, can't add anything to the gospel. But even in that, the gospel is clear, which is our, which is our justification. And there is something in our lives called sanctification, which is how God makes us into his image, which is how God grows our faith and helps us walk forward. And that's going to be found clearly here in the scripture as well. So I'm looking forward to opening this with you and talking about how God saves us and how God grows us. And so if you're ready for that, go ahead and look down at Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 16. What Paul does in verse 16 is he begins addressing specific issues that the Colossian church was dealing with concerning their faith, which is maybe a very difficult part for you when you're reading reading these words. You're saying, what does all this mean? Well, you have to understand that Paul is addressing specific things, specific issues that are going on in Colossae that are, that are adding and taking away from the gospel. And so here we're going to have to look at this and ask, what are these things? So here's what he says in verse 16. Go ahead and look at it. It says, therefore, therefore what? We just talked about that last week. When something says therefore, we have to do what? We have to go back, don't we? We've got to go back and see what was there and what is therefore, therefore, okay? We've got to understand why it's there. And here's what it is. Therefore was there because we have the fullness in Christ. So since we've had the fullness of Christ, therefore, here it goes. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. A lot of these things you don't even think about, you don't even care about, but they make they are very necessary for Christians to understand what does it mean to let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food, drink, festival, new moon, or Sabbath. Well, let me make this qualification. 
Because this is, uh, when I said don't judge, you guys all immediately went somewhere, didn't you? Every one of us in here said, yeah, that's right, we don't judge, no judge. We have to understand what kind of judgment is being discussed here. Paul is looking at the Colossian church just as surely as I'm looking at this church right here in New Braunfels, Texas, and he's saying this, okay? Don't let anyone judge you when it comes to this, when it comes to saying that you lack anything in Christ when it comes to your salvation, okay? Because this is what was going on. There was this Jewish group of people in Colossae saying, hey, listen, Jesus is great. He's all good, but he's not enough. You need Jesus and you need to obey the Sabbath and the new moon festivals and the food laws and the drink laws. You got to obey all these things and then Christ is also good with that, okay? That's what they're talking about. That's the thing that we call justification. They are trying to tamper with how God saves people. And we don't tamper with how God saves people. So this is the category in which he's talking about judgment. Now, you know where he's not talking about judgment? In the category of sin. Okay, He's not talking about sin here. He's talking about how one comes to know Christ. Because we understand something as Christians is we do have to make judgments on things called sin. Okay, and what that means uh, is if somebody in our church is caught in sin, we have, to make, we have to make a judgment and we have to bring that person back into a right relationship with one another. And that's all of us, every single one of us. That's so important. So when he's saying don't judge, what he's saying is don't judge how God offers salvation. That's what we're talking about here. Do not judge how God, do not let people judge you on how God offers salvation because he does it in a specific way and you can't add anything to it. We'll get back into that in a minute. So as we see here, we cannot pass judgment and let anyone pass judgment on us by trying to add something to our faith. And what we see here, uh, what it says in, uh, look at verse 17. Okay, we have these things, we have food laws and drink laws, and if you know the Old Testament, you don't even have to take my word for it or go and study it later. There were laws. To be set apart as a Jew, as, as a Hebrew, you had to obey certain food laws, obey certain drink laws, obey certain festivals. And that is, uh, those were this right here. Look at verse 17. Those things were a shadow of the things to come. So uh, those things weren't God's plan of bringing people in right relationship with him. If you follow all these rules, it's going to keep you in right relationship with me. That was never the plan, right? Those things, right? New moons, it was really new moons, they were festivals. Keep these particular days. Keep these specific festivals. Uh, make sure you, you aren't eating these things, like they weren't allowed to eat selfish, and they weren't allowed to eat animals that didn't have split hooves. I mean, they had all these rules because they were supposed to be set apart, and that's the whole reason these laws were, existed, was to separate the people of God in the Old Testament away from the people of the, the Gentiles, is what we call it, the people who didn't know God, okay? And so what we're seeing here is those things were a shadow, What's a shadow? Okay. They were a shadow because at the end of the day, God wanted the people for himself. And in the Old Testament, we had shadows of these things that have been fulfilled in Christ. That is, hey, how were people set apart? By making sure that they were different than other people. Okay. In the New Testament, how are we set apart? Because we're in Christ, and that transforms us. And according to the Bible, we are therefore a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. And so here we see a necessary separation between understanding this, that although these food and drink uh, laws and these new moon and Sabbath laws were a, were a necessary thing that kind of showed us that there was more to come, that th- more to come has come. And that more to come is Christ. And you can't add those things that were shadows onto the substance. Because just like a shadow has nothing outside of the substance, these laws had nothing outside of being fulfilled in Christ. And so these people were trying to do this. Hey, that, the shadows, you need the shadows. And what the Christians are saying, I have the substance, I have Christ. I don't need the shadows because I have the fullness of what this is, and that's in Christ. Does that make sense? 
We have to know that because even today, especially with the Sabbath, I mean, there are Christians who believe that, hey, if you, don't, if you, do, not, if you do not partake in the Sabbath and you do not, if you're not so steadfast on the Sabbath, you, I, I don't know if you're a Christian, right? You can't be a Christian. But for us to understand that even the book of Hebrews teaches us, hey, the, the Sabbath was pointing us to Christ. Is it good for us to rest? Yes. Is it good? Do we need to go to church and not forsake the gathering of believers? Yes. But the Sabbath and what it was was a shadow telling us that our true rest is found in Christ. Our true rest has been fulfilled in Christ resting it for us. And so the fact of the matter is if you and I are in Christ, we are in the eternal rest of Christ. And so we don't celebrate the Sabbath in the sense that they did in the Old Testament because it's been fulfilled. They were looking forward to things that weren't here yet. We have the substance of that, and so we don't let anyone add on to how we are saved. Very important for us. The substance belongs to Christ. That means this. The Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ. The festivals, things like the Feast of Tabernacles, right? the Passover feast, all these Old Testament feasts that people were celebrating all found their fulfillment in Christ. And that is just the great news for you and me. And just to prove that, uh, jot down Matthew 5, 17. Matthew 5, verse 17. It says this, Do not think, and this is Jesus, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Here's literally Jesus saying, Those things, the, the Passover feast, the Sabbath, the food and drink laws, I didn't come to get rid of them. I didn't come to get rid of them. Those things were good because they showed you I was coming. Right? Just like the law, we love the law. Right? Does the law save you? No, the law doesn't save you, but what does the law do? It puts a mirror up to your face and says, I cannot follow the law. You and I are by nature lawbreakers, and so the law is good for you and me because it tells us that we need something to come, and that something to come is Jesus. And so the law for you and me is a great gift and is a great partner because it shows us I can't do it. And so Jesus is saying, I didn't come to, to get rid of the law. The law was a good thing. It showed you that you couldn't do this without me. And so therefore, he said, I have come not to get rid of it. I have come to fulfill it. And for you and me, that's the good news of the gospel, that he's come to fulfill the law that I could not keep, that showed me that I needed someone, and that someone came in the incarnation of Christ. And that's why we need to point number one on your outline. Write this down. You need to affirm God's plan of salvation. I can say this in many ways, but for instance, I mean, if you're sitting in here right now and we just preach this, right? Uh, what I just preached to you was affirming God's plan of salvation, right? I can tell you and look you in the eyes and say the Sabbath is, is, is fulfilled, right? I don't need the Sabbath, right? I don't need the drink laws. I don't need the food laws, right? And people make arguments. Well, those things are good things. Well, yeah, the law was a good thing, right? The, of course, those are good things. They were leading to the best thing. That's Christ. But those things don't give you salvation, and so you need to be able to articulate these things and to affirm God's plan of salvation if you're also not going to be taken back when people try to challenge you about what it means to be a Christian. you got to know. you got to affirm God's plan of salvation. And when somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor, you got to obey the Sabbath, I'll flip them right over to Hebrews and say, Sabbath has been fulfilled in Christ. The Sabbath, according to Matthew 5, has been fulfilled in Christ. Christ came to fill those things. you got to know those things because in this day and age, and more so as you get older, people are going to challenge what it means to be right with God. And you got to know, how am I right with the Lord? Not adding anything to it. i got to understand God's plan of salvation. Acts 4.12, write that down. Acts 4.12. If you're a quick flipper, you can even flip there real quick. Acts 4, verse 12. We want to understand and affirm God's plan of salvation. We've got to understand this fundamentally. 
is this, Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, no Sabbath, right? No food law, no drink law, uh, no, uh, no feast of booths, right? No Passover, no festival, no, no, no Christmas, no Halloween, no Easter, none of those things, all right? F- salvation is found in none of those things. For there is only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, and it's Christ. And we have to start there, right? Just like that buoy that got loose and was floating around the ocean, it had to start there at its foundation, what it was connected to. And for you and I, we have to start where it gets connected, and that is at Christ. We start at Christ. And that's how we can affirm God's plan of salvation, because we're not going to worship anything that points us to Christ. We're going to worship Christ. Did you hear me? Don't let that get out of your mind. We don't worship things that point us to Christ. We worship Christ, okay? I don't worship the Bible, okay? Do you know that? You don't worship the Bible? Why don't you worship the Bible? Because it points us to God. It isn't God. It's God's revelation to us, so we take it and we respect it for what it is, that which points us to God. The same way that in the Old Testament, you should point to the Sabbath and say, I'm not worshiping the Sabbath. I'm worshiping the Lord of the Sabbath, which is what we read in our DBR last week, isn't it? We read that we need to understand our daily Bible reading, if you didn't know what that meant. We, as a church, read through the Bible. In our daily Bible reading last week, we just read this, that Jesus was with his disciples, and they were out, and they were healing people, and they were doing and the good works that God had put them there to do. And they were going through the grain fields and they were trying to get some grain off of the, the stems and, and uh, they were doing work, right? You aren't allowed to do work. You aren't allowed to work the field. And as they're going around doing ministry, the Pharisees came up to Jesus and said, why do you and your disciples eat when it's not lawful to eat? You hear me? Lawful. He said, why are you guys eating what's unlawful to eat? They didn't ask the good question. What are you guys out here doing the work of the Lord for? No, they said, why are you guys out here doing things that aren't lawful? And then Jesus went to, to heal a man, and, and they got mad at him for healing a man on the Sabbath. And Jesus looked at these law keepers, and they said, why do you, what do you think is a better, to heal and do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? And then he healed the man, and the Pharisees got what? Very angry, and they wanted to destroy him. And he said, listen, the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath you got to understand that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, all right? And if you missed all of that, here's what you got to know, okay? Jesus said, I've created all these things, including my word, to point you to me, okay? Your life was designed. God has designed this world to point you to him. And that's why he, doesn't, he does not at all allow idolatry. Because idolatry is you worshiping something that he has made. And he said, there is no worship of anything but me. All these things I have made should point you to me. And that's why we as Christians have to affirm God's plan of salvation. You want to know a really good way to do that? Reviewing your own testimony. You might write that down. You need to review your own testimony. Because you want to affirm God's plan of salvation, you need to be able to, in your own life, articulate God's plan of salvation when it comes to your own testimony. If you have a testimony, and we'll talk about that right this second. Okay? To have a testimony means this, that I understand that there is a monotheistic God out there that has created the universe by the word of his power, right? He's created the universe, okay? And this God created me, and he created me in his own image. And God creating me in his own image means that he is what? The boss, right? That God, since he created everything, he gets to say what goes. He gets to create morality, right? He gets to create government. He gets to create, he gets to create the universe. He creates everything, even you and I down to our very last hair. God's in control of all that. This is what it means to understand what it means to, to have a Christian testimony. You've got to know those things to be true. What you also need to know that is true about God is not only that he created everything, but he's also holy. And that means that God is set apart. He's altogether different than you and me. 
okay? That God is perfect, and in his essence, and his entire totality, that God is perfect, spotless, without blemish. It means he has no capability of doing evil, doing wrong, or doing sin. That's what it means to understand the Christian God of the Bible, okay? That he is holy, that he is just, which means that God is always going to make the right decision. He's always going to exact the right amount of justice in every situation. Wouldn't you like that? A government who could be exactingly just? Wouldn't you like a world that could be exactingly just? Well, you serve a God if you're a Christian who is exacting in his justice. That's the reason we don't have to make a big hoopla all the time when everything is not to our liking when it comes to the justice system, when it comes to all this society. We don't have to go up in arms because everything doesn't go exactly how we want it to because we understand that God is going to come and exact all the justice. The perfect amount of justice is going to be exercised over every situation, and that's what it means to trust in the God of the Bible. Okay? And he's holy. He's just. And you know what else God is? He's loving. Okay? But you understand, too many people start at loving and don't realize what all, all these other things God are. We start the gospel at the time of saying, God, God, you know, God loves you. Well, you know what the good news about God's love is? That God is also holy and just. Okay? God's love takes a whole new meaning when you understand that he's also holy and he's also a just God. Okay? So when I can start out the gospel by saying, in my own testimony, saying, I realize that God's holy, I realize that he's just, and I realize that he's going to call everyone to an account to exact justice on every, everything we do. Did you know that? That at one point in history, God is going to exact justice on every person. The scripture says that you will give an account for every careless word that you ever spoke. And so that's what it means. At one point, God is going to come and, ex- and give his exacting justice on every single person in the whole universe. So we're starting to get to the the problem, right? Now, the problem is, because we know those things about God, those things are true about God, right? Those things are very true about God. We also know something about you and me. We're not good. You got up in the morning and looked in the mirror, and you could easily tell yourself, I'm not good. I got up this morning, looked in the mirror, and said, I'm not good. I'm a sinner. And this is what it means to to understand the need for God because of who he is. There's a problem. If he's holy and just, that means he's separated from me. I am not in his presence. I can't be in his presence. This is what it means to have a testimony, you realize. We have to understand these things to have a testimony. And because I am this, because I'm a sinner and I'm broken and I can't keep the law, and the law is a good thing because it, it props up what I have to be to be in right relationship with God. Okay, I understand that there's a problem. There's a chasm between me and God. And I've got to, that's got to be fixed. And what Paul's saying and what God says is none of these good things that you're ever going to do are going to fix that chasm between you and God. Only God can fix that because he's the only one that's holy and just and loving. So we have this problem that we couldn't fix, that we were never going to be in right relationship with God on our own. And then comes the good news because that's the bad news. The good news is that Christ came and as Colossians said that he is the fullness of God that dwells bodily. Do you hear that? The good news is the fullness of God came to earth to take the likeness of human flesh. He became me in the likeness of me. Me and Jesus aren't the same. You and Jesus aren't the same. And that's the good news here. Because since he's not the same as me and the same as you, he could do something that we couldn't do. And that is to unite man with God. And the good news is since Jesus was God, since Jesus became our substitute his perfection for our sin, his righteousness for our unrighteousness, we can therefore have a right relationship with God. Do you hear this, church? This is what it means to have a testimony. And this is why I'm saying you got to be sure, does this sound like your testimony? Is this your testimony? Because if this isn't your testimony so far, we have to ask questions. Did I, was I given a load of false gospel? Was I given some deceiving teaching from somebody who didn't know the Bible? 
Because te- this is the only testimony. There is by no, under heaven, uh, not another name given among men by which we must be saved. And so here we go. We're not done yet. We're almost there, though, okay? That's the good news, that he came. But he died, right? And why did he die? He died for our sins. You know who killed Christ? Our sins, the wrath of God, right? The Romans didn't do it, all right? Sin did it. God did it because God wanted to pour his wrath out on, on, God, on Christ for mankind. So it was either on Christ or on mankind, or you, that God's going to pour his wrath out. Even still, right? either we understand our need to turn from our sins and trust in him so that our punishment went on Christ and not on us, or when we stand before God, God's wrath is going to be poured out on us and not Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. We don't have to take the wrath of God on our life because Christ did that. That's why he died. If anyone, if you've ever wondered, why did Christ die on the cross? Because he had to take the wrath of God. That's the good news for us. And then the response is necessary because you heard that, right? Christ died, okay? He was buried. And on three days, what happened? He raised, right? And that is the victory over death. The things that you and I fear, death, Right? The reason we were locked up for two years in our homes, in our communities, was because we didn't want to die. Guess who has victory over that death? The very things that we're afraid of in the world, Christ has victory over. The very things that you're ashamed about every day, Christ made victory over those things. And that's the gospel. And, but you know what's necessary in the gospel? A response. Because it's one thing to hear everything I just said and say, I get it, yeah, sure, okay. The Bible requires a response. And Jesus says it in some of his first words in his ministry, in his earthly ministry. He, he says in the book of Mark, in the first chapter, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe in the gospel. He said, because of all this, you just heard the good news. And he says, here's what's necessary for us to have a Christian testimony, that I understood that those things about the gospel, and I turned from my sins, and I trusted in Christ substitutionary atonement. You remember earlier when I said that's necessary? We have to, we have to know it because that's how we're saved. That's what it means to have a Christian testimony, that you turned away from your sins because you understood the gospel and you trusted in God. And so when I say you need to affirm God's plan of salvation, that means that has to be your testimony. There is no other testimony that saves other than the one that was just given right here. And so for you in your life, you have to ask, is that how I got saved? Because if not, you may be like Paul, you may be like the, the Colossian Christians that Paul is trying to help to say, maybe you don't, right, aren't saved because maybe people have been trying to add things to what it means to be saved or take things away, and maybe you don't have the gospel. And Paul is looking at the Colossians and saying, you guys got to have the gospel right, and you guys got to keep it right. And so for here at our church, we're going to keep that gospel right. We have no room in here for the false gospel. And so we got to make sure as we're affirming God's plan of salvation, and it's because we're also reviewing our testimony and making sure, hey, is my testimony a biblical testimony? Whew, that was a lot. That was a lot. You know, affirming God's plan of salvation, like we just said, serves a lot of purposes, right? It serves a lot, and we just talked about it. It affirms your own salvation, and it helps you be able to proclaim the gospel more clearly. But it also has some other purposes, and one of them is found in verse 18. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, let no one disqualify you. Here's something that the Bible's saying, this cannot happen. He's saying, this is something you need to do. Let no one disqualify you. In Scripture, in, uh, as we call them the Pauline epistles, right? The, thing, the letters that Paul wrote, he uses this term, a qualification, a lot. And often he uses it in the context of racing, right? Of running a race. He said, don't all runners run a race to, to win the 
prize, right? We all run the race to win the prize. And so we all are running for a purpose, and that's for a prize. And here they're saying, let no one disqualify you. What's the prize in the Bible? Salvation, right? It's our salvation. It's that we have this prize and this inheritance and this down payment that you and I have received in Christ, and it's ours. And what he's saying is, don't let people come in here and disqualify you or try to take away the thing in which you're running your race for. They can't take that away because it's in Christ. And so he's saying, don't let anyone disqualify you. And here are some things that Paul's saying, these are ways they're trying to disqualify you. In Colossae, to the Colossian Christians, he's saying, here are some ways people are trying to disqualify you and don't let them do it. Okay, the first one is this. It's the word asceticism. Okay, and the word asceticism uh, is this idea of extreme self-denial in hopes to obtain some superior spiritual standing with God. Did you hear that? That's what asceticism is. It would be like me if you listen to the podcast that Pastor Evan was announce, announcing earlier uh, tonight when it drops. I use this example. Uh, like, it'd be like you saying, I'm never going to eat a banana again because I want to prove to God how holy I am. You're going to say, bananas don't make you holy. right? Eating a banana doesn't make you holy. Abstaining from bananas doesn't make you holy. That's superfluous junk that you've added to this idea of what it means to be a, to be a Christian that never existed. Okay, and I want to give that example because, unfortunately, there's a whole lot of that going on in our world today. There's this idea that if I keep myself from doing all of these certain things, and I'm going to deny, I'm going to have this self-denial in all these areas, I'm going to somehow be more Christian than someone else. I'm going to somehow get way up here when all of you are way down here. And then the worst part of this is those leaders who say that then try to get everyone else to say, okay, if everyone in this room will just stop eating bananas, okay? (laughs) We're all going to get right here, okay? And we're going to say, no, that is not how one gets saved. And so Paul's saying, don't let people disqualify you on trying to make you eat bananas and not eat bananas. Okay, you get what I'm saying. I'm not talking about bananas, but you get the point, right? Good. All right. And then he says this, don't let them uh, disqualify you on the idea that you have to worship angels. There was a lot of angel worship there in the Lycus Valley where Colossae was. You know, yeah, Jesus is great, but man, those angels. There were these angels that people would worship and they would talk about. And this was a very, uh, even a lot of Jewish, heretical Jewish uh, cults would also worship a lot of angels. And so there was a very big problem in that area saying, hey, if you want to be spiritual, if you want to be, if you want to be a real believer, you got to worship angels. And you remember in Revelation... When the Apostle John uh, fell down at the feet of the angel and tried to worship him, you remember what that angel said? He said, get yourself up right now. He's like, I am not the one to worship. There was one person we worship, and it's God. So even, like, even the Bible testifies that we don't worship angels. And so the same thing goes true here. If anyone's trying to disqualify you, saying you need to worship angels, say no. Okay, and I'm, Keep going. Because here's some things that hit closer to home. What are some other things that, would dis- that they're trying to disqualify you for? Going on in details about visions. Now, this is a big one, right? I mean, this is a big one, even in our world. Like, how many people say, do you get a vision from God? Like, have you had a vision from God? What's, what's God's vision for you? You know, what's God, what, is God, what, is, what is God's purpose in your life? You know, do you have a, I mean, and even in behind the pulpit, we have this behind the pulpit where, where pastors get up and say, God gave me a vision, or God told me. The problem is that Paul even says that right here. These people go on in details about visions and they're puffed up without reason. So we got to be careful in our own lives to not look at people who seem superior because they receive the special visions about life and the world coming from God. And we're like, well, am I lacking something? Am I not a Christian because I don't receive visions from God? 
Am I lacking because I don't dream these, these, these crazy dreams about God? And Paul's saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. don't let anyone disqualify you because they're insisting that that has to be what you do to be saved. Like, oh, I don't, those things don't happen in my life. Does that mean I'm not saved? This was happening in Colossae, and Paul said, no, we don't do that. Okay? And if anyone is insisting on vision, that they had a dream or a vision, uh, we should be able to open the Bible and say, that's not there or that is there. And they don't call it your vision. You just call that God's special revelation given unto us in his word. Okay? And that's why we can always be sure as Christians to say, hey, if I want to know what God wants, wants me to know, I open up the Bible and I read it because it's theopneustos. Remember we learned that a couple weeks ago? It's God breathed. right? He breathed it out and put it on paper. That's his revelation. It's, it's the, the inspiration given once and for all to the saints. right? It is Christ the cornerstone. right? And long ago in Hebrews, uh, God spoke to people through the prophets in many ways, right? But now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his, his son, okay? So if people are insisting on these visions that they've received, these special revelations from God, we're going to say, in these last days, God has spoken by his son, and I'm going to follow the son who has been given me the revelation of God. You see what I'm saying here? And I know, I know it's firm, but you better be firm. It's your faith we're talking about here. Be firm. Don't be hateful, don't be disrespectful, but be firm. At the end of the day, and here's how you can know, when people are disqualifying you basing on these things, I know that we were talking about the Colossians, but now I want you to talk about you and me. Okay? Oftentimes these people make their faith more about me than thee. Did you hear that? These people make their faith more about me than thee. And so if anyone is going on in their Christian faith and they're trying to make it about me or you, right? they're trying to make it more about you than God, that's, that's, a, that's a red flag. We can say, no, because I'm a sinner, right? I ain't making anything. I don't build this church around me. I don't, build, I don't even build my marriage around me. Frankly, I don't build my personal life around me, okay? Because I wouldn't be able to do it, right? It's more about thee than me. I hate bringing up, I hate bringing up things that happen sometimes because I don't want everyone to sound too, you know, aggressive. But what I want to do is tell you, hey, this stuff really goes on today. Did you know that? These real things go on. I was at a coffee shop a couple weeks ago, and I was engaging in a conversation uh, with this mother and her daughter because they were reading their Bible, and I asked them what they were reading. They told me, I asked them, where do you go to church? And they told me a church they were going to. And I was like, okay, what do you guys, you know, what do you guys do? And they said, well, we go treasure hunting. And I tried to, like, in my mind, I flipped through all the cards in my mind that have to do with how church and treasure hunting go together. And I drew a quick blank, okay? <laughs> Didn't take long to get through all those flip cards in my brain. And I said, treasure hunting. So I said, tell me about that, okay? And she was telling me that treasure hunting was when you get a small group of people together and you write down the first things that come to your mind, one word, like purple, uh, Joe, uh, crown, uh, all these things. And then you and that group go around town and you, you just go up to somebody and you ask them, uh, Joe, does that mean anything to you? Joe? Joe? Okay. Oh, not you, okay. Joe? Okay, purple. Purple mean anything to you? Crown? Crown? Does that mean? Okay. Oh, then, then you're the one. Okay. So they, they go around and they treasure hunt. Okay, and treasure hunting, oh, I found it. So I'm going to go to you, and then you're, you're somehow this person that God has drawn me to that we need to have this conversation. Okay? And already, this has become a lot more about me and my experience than it is about God's Word. But I'm not going to be too hasty here because maybe they got some, maybe they do know some knowledge that I don't know, maybe. Okay? So I asked him this question. I said, wow, okay. I said, so when you, when you meet with them and, and God has brought you to this person, I mean, this is what a great opportunity to share the gospel with them. And they said, huh? 
Like, they said, huh. I'm like, do we, point number one, remember, affirm God's plan of salvation. What we need to understand is what God is doing in us is equipping us to help other people come to know God. And if I'm doing anything in my spiritual walk that doesn't help me lead people to Christ, then this is not of God. It's not of the Bible. And so what, what we have to make sure, right, when people say, yeah, we go treasure hunting, want to go? And say, if treasure hunting means I'm going to go search for souls and preach the gospel to them, count me in, okay? If it doesn't include those things, if it's me trying to get this spiritual high based on something that's never found in the Bible, I'm going to pass. See, we just got to be those kind of people who are wise, gentle as dove, wise as serpents. We got to be those kind of Christians. Was I hateful to this gal? Absolutely not. Had a great conversation, got up, told them goodbye. It was great to talk to them. But we've got to know, and we've got to be sure, and we've got to be firm in what we believe so we don't add things that are unnecessary and superfluous. The last term here, it says this, that they're puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. That word sensuous, a word you should probably use a little bit more in your vocabulary, uh, is a word that just means fleshly, okay? They are puffed up by their sensuous, fleshly minds. And this is what happens so much when we try to make our faith about us. We get so tempted by, by giving into our own flesh that everything we think about doesn't no longer become about God, it becomes about me. How does this impact me? How is this about me? How can I kind of drain all of the, the, the eye-centric things in, in, in my faith and make it all about me? And we got to be careful when anybody's trying to make everything about me and not about God. And so these people who do this are often about me and not about thee. In verse 18, if you look, we see how culture answers the question of how do I grow personally, spiritually with God? As Christians, we need to do this, and it's point number two is we need to look to God's Word as the only plan for spiritual growth. You and I have to look to God's Word as the only plan for spiritual growth. And this reason is, is because if you don't, right, you're going to look at these people who come to you, and it may not be treasure hunting, it may be something else, and they're going to come to you and say, hey, this is how you're going to grow closer to God. We talked about justification. We're, we're transitioning to sanctification now, right? We understand how we're saved. Now we have to ask the question, well, how do I grow closer to God? Because this is a real problem they were having there in Colossae too. Well, I get that I can't be saved by anything, but how does good works play a part in this? Like, what is, what is sanctification in the life of a Christian? We're going to get into that. But first, we've got to make sure that we look to God's Word as the only plan for the spiritual growth. We need to know how are we going to do this, and we need to go to God's Word for it. Because anything else does this. It's in Colossians 2.23. It's just a couple of verses down. We'll hit it next week, but we needed to talk about it a little bit here. Colossians 2.23, he's talking about those things, asceticism, worship of angels, going on in details about visions, those things, here's what Paul says about them. They have an indeed an appearance of wisdom. Did you hear that? They appear to be wise. Okay, when those people come up to me to go treasure hunting, that appears like they have something that I don't. True or false? True, right? It seems like, man, y'all, y'all figured out this super close connection with God that he's just giving you guys this special revelation just right off the top of your head, and you're able to do these things that I could never do. And they have a, an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. They, they are, and that's what it is. That's why I said we can't make it more about me than thee. Because when I make it about me, it's a self-made religion. And the gospel has no self-made religion. The gospel is not about self. Actually, Jesus says that what, if we want to follow him, what do we have to do? We have to deny ourselves. We have to take up our cross. And then we have to follow me? No, we have to follow him. There is no self-made religion in the gospel because it's all about him and it's not about me. 
And so we have to understand that, that these things that are leading us away from God and, and Scripture are self-made religions. And they base themselves off asceticism, severity to the body. But look at this. Look at this. When it comes to sanctification, when it comes to building your relationship with God, what does it say there at the end? They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. These things are of no value in growing you closer to God. Literally what it says right here on the Bible. These things do not help you grow closer to God. And that's why as Christians, when we, when we see point number two, right, we need to be sure in our own lives that we don't let anyone make us believe that you're missing out on something more based on their higher experience with God. And this is something the Colossians were dealing with, a thing called Gnosticism. This is this idea that there's this higher knowledge out there that you can't, you can't get from the gospel. You can only get it through following me. This is what they dealt with. This is the other half of this whole controversy in Colossae. And people are like, well, how can I get where that guy is? Well, you can't because we don't know where he is because it's Gnosticism, okay? We don't know what they believe. They don't know what they believe. They're just trying to get there through Gnosticism, this idea of knowledge based on nothing, okay? And this, we have to be sure that we do not do that. And so we can't let anyone make us believe we're missing out on something because we don't go Easter egg hunting, treasure hunting, not Easter egg hunting, treasure hunting, all right? You know I'm not trying to be mean, right? Okay, thank you. All right, another thing is, that's the negative. Can I go to the positive? Okay, that's what you, you can't let anyone do that, but here's what you need to do. We're talking about sanctification now, right? Not justification. We're not talking about how you get saved. Now we're talking about what do we do because we're saved. Now here's what we need to do. As, as we look to God's word as the only plan for salvation, that's how we're going to grow primarily. But secondarily, we need to use carefully chosen resources to undergird your discipleship and supplement your in-depth Bible study. Did you hear that? Like, the Bible is central in our spiritual growth. But what we also need also are other supplemental godly resources that help us understand the Bible, that help us understand how to apply these things to daily life. Like you're, you're kind of doing it right now. You're sitting under expository preaching. This is a supplement to you, your daily Bible study. Because right now, hopefully you're sitting in here and you're thinking, oh, I understand that a little better now. Or, oh, man, I can apply that a little easier in my life. Well, this is part of what that is to grow spiritually, and there's other ways to do it when it comes to choosing carefully chosen resources to help you in your discipleship. Now, we have a way for you to do that at Compass Bible Church, and I'm excited to tell you about it. Uh, you can go online to compasshillcountry.org compasshillcountry.org, you can go to the About Us tab. And when you hover over the About Us tab, you can scroll down, and we have a tab that says Compass Books, okay? And they're not books that we all wrote because we want you following our cult. That's not at all what this is, right? Uh, what this is is they're books that we have looked over, that, uh, that our staff has looked over, that our sending church has looked over, and we said, these are going to be really, really solid books. we basically done the work for you to dig around and throw out the bad stuff and kind of keep the really, really good stuff as much as we can, right? And we put them in one place, so now when you go and you, you pick a book, you can put it on our word and our shoulders that these are going to be good resources for you. Isn't that nice? Because how many times you go to the bookstore and you're thinking, eh, is that good? And you buy it and you're like, yeah, that wasn't good. Okay, we're going to help you. And go to, go to compasshillcountry.org if you want some other resources to supplement your discipleship. Go to compasshillcountry.org, go to About Us, go to the Compass Books, hit it, it'll take you to our, the website, and you can just buy them from there just like Amazon. All right? And it gives you so many good resources that we would approve and encourage you to use to grow in your faith. Because we're serious about people growing in their faith here. <sighs> Remember, we're talking about sanctification, right? Not how you get saved, but since you're saved. Okay? And, and when it comes to being saved, putting together what we call a spiritual growth plan is, uh, is important. It is. It really is. It may sound, it sounds quirky, spiritual growth plan. It's just called discipleship. It's called being conformed into the image of Christ. Those are good things. They have to be centered on the Bible. 
right, and other great resources. And they have benefits for the believer's lives. But it, it cannot happen without this one thing, and you see it in verse 19. You can try to put all the spiritual growth planners together you want to for the rest of your life, and if you don't have this one thing, it's never going to work. Look at verse 19. In verse 19, it says this, that these people, they're puffed up without reason, those people trying to dissuade you. But here's what they're not doing. They're not holding fast to the head. Do you remember that? We've talked about this a lot in the letter to the Colossians, right? The Christ is the head. We talked about it earlier, didn't we? The Christ is the head of all rule and authority. He's the head of the universe. He's the head of the church. So the idea for you and me is just like the buoy that we talked about. It's foundation, and it's holding fast to the, to the piece of concrete that's at the bottom of the sea. It's latched onto it, and it's not moving. Okay? In the same way, we have to hold fast to the head. You know the great thing about the head is? It's necessary for your survival. You know how many successful head transplants have happened? None. You know why? Because it doesn't work. You have to have the head connected to the body for the body to work. And what Paul is saying here is all these people, they're going crazy and they're not functioning because they're not connected to the head. But he's like, but you, you're connected to the head. Right? That's the great thing about being a body we're the body. That, that means you and I don't create the rules, right? You and I don't create the sustenance. You and I don't do anything, but just follow after what the head is doing. Right? You knew this when you cooked dinner last night, didn't you? Could you imagine your body trying to make you a sandwich without your head? But here's the good news, right? Your body doesn't have to worry about making itself a sandwich without the head, right? Your body just knows my job as the body is to do what the head says. If the head tells me to go to my pantry, grab some bread, put some peanut butter and jelly on there, slap that thing together and eat it, I just do it, Right? That's called sanctification, right? Like our idea is that whatever the head tells me to do, I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to do that. When my head tells me I need to go make a sandwich, my body's going to get up and I'm going to go make a sandwich. When God says get up and go make disciples, what are you going to do? You're going to get up and you're going to go make disciples, right? And this is actually the problem we see in the real physiological lifestyles. When people have brain issues, what often happens to their body? It deteriorates, doesn't it? Their bodies deteriorate because the head cannot function properly. And so we see that the health of the body comes from the head. And in the church, the health of the body comes from the head who is Christ. So if you're in here and you've asked the question, like, I just feel like I haven't grown in years, or I'm, I'm not a Christian, but I want to be, so you're not attached to the head. Attach yourself to the head. You're, you're going you're to turn from your sins. You're going to trust in Christ. You're going to grow in your faith. But if you try to do all these things in the world without the head being Christ, you're not going to do it. It's not going to work. That's the good news of the gospel. We get to hold fast to the head. And here's what happens when we hold fast to the head. It says the whole body, in verse 19, is nourished. That means you get what you need. Like you get what you need to grow. And here's what else happens. You get knit together. Knit together. That means you get put together, and it's a work, right? You don't just, you just say, yeah, I knitted together something the other day. No, you, knitting together is an actual work that takes, I'm knitting, I'm doing the work, right? You're, you're actually connecting the thing. You know the word body? in Scripture, is often connected to the church. You know yourself as a local body called the church, right? The idea is that the church is nourished and that you and I are knit together in unity. You and I are on the same page because we're connected to the head. Can you imagine if this half of the church was connected to some, some other guy's thoughts and philosophies and this, this half over here, you're connected to the other philosophies of the people and you try to come together and you try to have unity and you try to live life? You wouldn't do it really well, would you? Because you're not unified to one head. The idea, we're unified to the gospel, to Christ. And so when we come together as a church, we're going to be unified. And this is when we get to pick out all those things that are not gospel problems. This is why the church can be unified when the, church is, when this, when the world is divided. Because the world's going to divide over everything. We're only dividing over things that have to do with the gospel. 
because those things are primary. Those things have to do with salvation. Those things have to do with sanctification. Those are gospel problems. And that's why the church can be unified in so many areas because we're not concerned with all the things the world's concerned about. We're concerned about being tethered to Christ, the head. So we can be nourished and we can be knit together through its joints and ligaments and we can grow, listen to this, maybe underline this. Because we're attached to the head, we can grow with a growth that is from God. Okay? We can grow with a growth that is from God. And that is the goal of this church in your life, is that you grow with a growth that is from God. Here's my prayer for you, that you never grow from a, from a growth that is from Hayden. Because okay? that is going to be a, that's a growth that's probably called a wart. Go get that thing removed. Okay? All right. You don't want that. Right. What you want to do is you want to grow from a growth that comes from God because that's going to be a nourishing growth. That's going to be a unifying kind of growth. That's the kind of way you want to grow. And that's why I know and I believe and I trust that our church is going to grow because we're going to grow because we are being grown from a growth that is from God because we're on his Bible. I mean, we have a full overflow room. Hi, guys. Sorry. Uh, and in a couple of months, we're going to be in a great building down the road, and we're going to have plenty of room to invite more people to come hear God's word. That's because we believe that we're going to grow from a growth that is from God, not from the pastor being super little C, charismatic, joyful, and just trying to make you want to hear, or we're not, we're not going to do all the best tricks in the book to try to get everyone to be here. We're going to do this. We're going to open up God's word. We're going to preach it, and we're going to say, what do we do about this, church? And then we're going to do it. We're going to walk according to where the head takes us. And that's what it takes, friends, to do point number three. That means you need to grow spiritually through biblical obedience. Right? Just like we follow the head, when it tells us to go make a sandwich, we go make a sandwich. Because when my head tells me I'm hungry, I'm hungry. Okay? When Christ tells you, hey, go make disciples, we go make disciples. When, when Christ tells us, hey, be sacrificial, be sacrificial. When, when Christ says, hey, in order to come to me, you need to turn from your sins and trust in him, I'm going to do it. He's the head, right? I've, not only do I not really have a choice, the only other choice is to walk around aimlessly for the rest of your life. And God's desire is not that. God's desire is that we follow him. He's the head. Let us grow spiritually through biblical obedience. You want to know how much Jesus wants you connected with him and wants you to grow with him? We find it in John 15, 5. John 15, 5. Jesus says this, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Did you hear that? The idea of us being connected to the head, that is Christ, is that idea that I am in him, and because I am in him, I can be sanctified, right? And that's what sanctified means. I'm doing good things, right? I can bear good fruit because it is he that is in Christ who bears much fruit. For apart from the head of Christ, I can do no good thing. And so for you and I, if we want to grow spiritually, we have to be connected to Christ and then we have to do what Christ says because it's in him that we find our purpose, so to speak. And our purpose is just the will of God, right? Your purpose and my purpose, all the same to be pleasing to God, to live and go after God and do the good works that he's prepared beforehand for you and I to walk in. He said, I get it, I get it, Pastor, I get it. So what do I need to do? I'll tell you what you need to do. Number one, you need to put your yes on the table. And without this sounding too quirky, I have to say it this way first. Put your yes on the table. Because this is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian, the disciples did it. Jesus said, hey, come follow me. He didn't tell them all the things they were going to do for the next three or four years, including die, uh, before he said, follow me, did he not? Now, he said, come follow me. And then what did they do? They dropped their nets, they got out of the boat, they gave dad a hug, and they followed Jesus. Okay, And that's what it means. Our yes is on the table because you're going to read things in the Bible for the rest of your life, and you're going to say, 
don't like that, okay? You know, don't want to do that, you know? But it doesn't matter because your yes was on the table. It's called being a Christian. Like, I read things in the Bible all the time that I'm like, wish I wouldn't have read that, you know? Because I know I got to do it now, okay? And that's what it means to be a Christian. It's like my yes is on the table, and when God's word says it, I immediately do it. And this is what 1 Thessalonians 5.19 means. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, this is what it means when it says, do not quench the Spirit. This idea is don't quench the Spirit is this, that God's given you His revelation right, in His Word. And he, is, he has given us His Spirit to live into us, to confirm the Word, and to have us walking in the Word. And anytime the Bible says do something and you don't do it, you're quenching the Spirit. How many times have you guys had a quickening uh, when you read something in the Bible and it says, hey, you need to do this? And you're like, oh, I got to do that. Anybody? Just me? Okay. All right. And you're like, oh, I got to do that. And you're like, well, I don't want to do that. And you're like, oh, I got to do it anyway. Well, I don't want it. Well, you're going to do it. Okay. But what happens when you don't do it? And the next time you read it and you're like, well, I didn't do it last time. I won't do it this time. It's called quenching the Spirit. That the Spirit continues to prompt you to walk in obedience to Him, but you keep saying no. That's called quenching the Spirit. Because eventually, you're never going to do it. Eventually, every time you see something the Bible says, you're going to be like, eh, I don't want any part of that. But the Christian who is, who is sensitive to what God's Word says is going to read something, even if they don't like it, and they're saying, I'm going to do it. And that's going to confirm in their life, hey, this is how the Spirit works, by convicting me and, and asking me to urge me forward in my walk. And that's when you see these Christians out there who are walking in faith. They don't have a higher faith than you do. If you're a Christian in here, there is no higher faith. The only faith is that which is in Christ. Those who have turned from their sins and trusted in Christ, we're all the same. There is no varsity, JV, Christianity. We're all the same, okay? But what there is is there's a difference between obeying God and disobeying God. And somebody who's truly a Christian is going to feel the conviction of the Spirit, and in time, they're going to walk after the Spirit because that's what it means to be a Christian. So we need to make sure that we put the yes on the table, and when God says it, I'm going to go do it. Because what you don't want to do is end up being that Christian where you're like, am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? And you have to fight this battle in your own flesh because you won't obey God. And I'm saying, listen, obey God, and you're going to figure out if you're a Christian because your flesh won't allow you to do it. You won't be able to keep doing it. And when you, if you're a Christian, your obedience to God is going to show because you're going to be able to consistently follow Christ, and it's not under your own power. It's under, the, it's under the power of the Spirit. And for some reason, you're going to be able to live a righteous life. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to sin. You're going to need to turn from your sin. You're going to need to apologize. You're going to need to do some things in life. But your life becomes marked by the fruits of the Spirit and not the fruits of the flesh. Okay? That's how you can confirm through obeying God's word that you're a Christian. Not that you're perfect, but that for some reason you weren't able to do this 10 years ago, but now you're able to do it now consistently because God has been sanctifying you, making you more like him. And that's how we're going to grow spiritually through biblical obedience. And secondly, it's finding other people who are being obedient and following them. That's the reason we preach the Bible at our church a lot is because what we want to do is make sure that when you come in here, if you look around and hopefully almost anyone you look at, if, if you look and follow their life, uh, you're going to be able not to find God through in them, in them, yeah, not through them, like they're God, they're making all the right decisions, they never mess up. You're not going to find that in anybody in here, I promise. But what you're going to find is people who are walking in obedience to God and whether or not they're doing the right thing and they're walking in faith or even if they mess up, you, you know what you're going to find? Repentance. You're going to find them you know, obeying. What does the Bible say when life doesn't go well? You, by walking with other people who are obeying God's word, are going to figure out how to live life, both in the good times and in the bad times. And that's why it's so important that if you want to grow in your faith, you better make sure you're part of a t- church that's teaching the Bible. 
You need to be a part of a church with people who want to follow God's word. You're not going to find perfect people. You're not going to find a perfect church, but you're going to find a perfect Savior that we try to emulate and live our lives after. And that's what it means to be growing spiritually through biblical obedience. Buoys and branches. Buoys, we talked about buoys. Branches, John 15, right? That we, in Christ, like Christians, okay, are all purposeful when we're attached to the right foundation. When buoys are attached to their foundation, when a branch is attached to its foundation, and when a Christian is attached to its foundation, that's when it is fulfilling its purpose. And when it understands what it's doing, and it understands the direction that it needs to go. And we need to be Christians who are attached to the head of Christ so that we can grow, so that we can firm what the gospel is, and so we can move forward and build God's church here in New Braunfels. Pray with me. Got to do pray for... This sermon, God, that it bears fruit this week, that for those who have heard it, that they would, as James says, not be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. God, I pray that that would be the case here today. I pray that, uh, God, that the community that we have here, God, I pray that the, uh, the conviction of your word is, is clear and that it is attractive and that it is uh, God, undergirded by the, the fact that we all just want to obey you. So God, help us do that. God, help this be a kind of church that finds their, um, the meaning of life in your word. And help us do that better this week as we go out here. Let me pray it in Christ's name. Amen.